Welcome to A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar, a podcast with relatively well-informed and irreverent musings on religion, news, and society. And now, for your hosts, Rabbi Asher Lopatin and John Geringer. Hey, John! How are you? I am negative one. How are you? We're not so bad in Detroit. We're positive four. We're always a little bit warmer than Chicago. You've always been more positive than me. Oh, I always looking up. If it's really cold, it's time for dun dun dun. Tubishmat. <laughs> now, are are we allowed to say baby it's cold outside anymore or no? I've seen that with Dean Martin. I've seen that. It's a little I don't never had me very nervous that song a little <laughs> bit coercive but okay. all right so maybe we won't say that but hey it's tubishvat the sap might be coming back in the trees remind everyone what tubishvat yeah, it's so interesting because it's the kind of the holiday where you don't which even in israel like even in the middle east it's cold but the idea is even when you don't see life returning you don't see success you don't see even promise because it really looks everything looks except for the almonds but other trees they really look dead but they're filled with life through the sap according to tradition the sap is beginning to well up within them there's such a great lesson there that even when you feel things might not be going your way or things might not be succeeding do you have some inner strength? There's some inner strength, and that will lead to a spring to life coming out. So it really is a, of course, there's a, the technical aspect of the holiday is that this is when, how you separate fruit from the previous year to the following year. It was a taxation thing, right? Yeah, of course, religious tax, good tax, yeah, times. Yeah. You know, right, exactly. <laughs> except for, for Tubishvat. And Tubishvat is the... Um, the Hebrew letters Tet and Vav, and like every uh, Hebrew letter, we assign a value to it, so nine and six. So it's the 15th day of the month of Shvat. Yes, exactly. And it's actually pretty early this year because this is a leap year. We're going to have two Adars. Tubi Shvat in the solar calendar is a little bit earlier this year than usual. But according to tradition, the Hashkedi Aparacha, the almond tree, is going to begin to, to flower I hope we've turned a corner and it's interesting when you think about the war in Gaza and things and, and the war against anti-Semitism. But it also reminds me, John, of Tubi Shvat Seder. Have you ever done a Tubi Shvat Seder? Yeah, I actually have. I had, hadn't done it in a while and I just picked it up recently because I love all the food that's associated with it, right? It's usually fruits relative to Israel, figs, dates, raisins, carob, not so much, but almonds. And then sometimes the seven species associated with Israel, which are like wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, dates. What's not to like? Exactly. And and of course, wine, yeah, is a part of that, uh, the grapes. So that and supposed how, to mix like red and white. And then you first you eat fruits that are bad on the outside, but good on the inside. Then you want that, that are bad on the inside of a big pit but good on the outside. And then you eat fruits that are good on the inside and on the outside. Interestingly, according to many authorities, it was started by Nathan of Gaza, Nathan of Aza, that there were there was a Jewish community in Aza thousand years, less than a thousand years ago. This is about 500 years ago. And really, it's an incredible, maybe 400 years ago. But 
Nathan of Gaza was a supporter of the uh, of Shabtai Tzvi, who was no. a heretic and thought he was the Messiah, was a like a false Messiah. Johnny come lately, false Messiah. Let um, that be a lesson to all you rabbis out there. You might give good sermons, but not I was going to say stay out of politics. And then I realized we're having you test the waters for your congressional run. Ah, yeah. I don't think this. Yeah, not yet. It's always tempting. It's always tempting. I'm always ready. I'm always ready to be bankrolled by $20 million from some organization. But um, (laughs) the offer hasn't come through. But I'll keep that in mind. It's also an interesting lesson that even something by Nathan of Gaza, who was like a prophet, for Shabtai Tzvi, who decides that he was the Messiah and was like his uh, organizer, his supporter. But it shows that anyone can come up with something good, that even if <laughs> they had a lot of false starts, but the <laughs> Shrutzader is still around. Look, we'll take it. Yeah. And if it's meaningful for you, it's good. One thing I think that's very meaningful we had a scholar in residence, David Stav, who's the head of Soar in Israel, nice group of rabbis that try to make Judaism meaningful for all Israelis, not just for re- religious ones. One of the projects is buying fruit from Israel from some of the farms in the South that for Tubishvat. And in general, Tubishvat is a return to the earth holiday. It's the, you know, the birthday of trees, and so many people are going to Israel, like I did a, a month and a half ago, and yeah. doing some work on a farm, getting back to that. A few of our friends have gone, and the, the pictures, the videos, the, the written summaries of it have been fascinating to see people who are normally doctors or lawyers <laughs> or what have you getting all the way up to their elbows in dirt. It's a it's the old Zionist. It's a little different. We fly back to America, of course, and uh, we don't <laughs> to <stay>. our air conditioning <laughs> or our heat. Yeah, or our heat. We don't stay on the kibbutz for years and years. But but it is great that when all the tragedy and the sadness that that there is and dislocation of hundreds of thousands of people from Israel, from around Gaza, and from the north, that were able to a little bit return to the earth and really help out in that kind of way. That's all around Tubishvat stuff. And one more thing I'll say <laughs> about Shabtai Tzvi, Sabbatean from the, I think it's something the 17th, 16th, 17th century. In the end, he was forced to convert to Islam by the Ottomans in Turkey. Once again, Turkey behaving badly. That's all I can say. And here we are again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure why we still allow them in NATO, but that's going to be a discussion for another time. Yeah, that's it. That's really scary to have someone in NATO like that. It's, it's so sad. Ataturk would be turning over in his grave if he saw what was going on with Turkey these days. We know who our friends are. Speaking of which, people who might not be happy about how their legacy has been twisted, I wonder how this the past weekend was Martin Luther King, how he would view people who've taken on his mantle of uh, a society where we're supposed to base people on the content of their character and not on their skin color. That would be very interesting. I think a lot of how he would be twisted. He was a very a big supporter of Israel when not all, certainly maybe not even majority of black leaders 
in his days in the 60s were supportive of Israel, but he still was. And Zionism is a liberation movement. And I were part of a coalition for Black and Jewish unity. And we had a program on Sunday afternoon with the Black community and, and the Jewish community in the church, actually. And we talked about how Martin Luther King uh, was a great supporter of Israel. And look, I don't know if he would have agreed with every policy of Israel these days, but he certainly would have agreed that Israel has a right to defend itself and not to be subsumed from the river to the sea. It is a very important, very important legacy. And that, yeah, unfortunately, uh, it's so tragic. I wish he were still around today. That would be incredible. Um, That would be an interesting Shabbat guest to have. (laughs) That's a great And if you can't get him, you might as well get Congressman Richie Torres, who gave just an amazing MLK speech. I don't know if you saw it at the New York Central Synagogue. Oh, I did. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Rabbi Angela Buchtel's shul. And he is great. He is, if we don't talk too much politics here, maybe we do a little bit. But if Biden would drop out of the race and get Richie Torres to run for president, that would be unbelievable. I think that'd be great. Because people that oppose Biden on the Middle East aren't going to vote for him anyway. So might as well have a real guy like Richie Torres. And it's interesting because he he is relatively far left on his other views, but on Israel is as strong pro-Israel as just about anyone in Congress. Yeah, yeah. DeSantis gave a, I don't know how many DeSantis supporters we have on here, Woo! but uh, <laughs> he gave a shout out in one of the debates of the Orthodox community. He talks about, he talked about all the Jews that he saved from Israel, the lights that they had. I would love to be in a different world, a different life. I'd love to be a tourist, a travel planner, whatever they are, and a travel agent, booking flights and hotels. And I think that's what Ron DeSantis would like to be. He books flights to Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) uh, He books flights from Israel to Florida. Yeah, maybe that's his new gig, considering he's probably not going to get far in the presidential race. But I did appreciate his shout out to the Orthodox community in Florida. Just a quick. But yeah, I think I think we'll leave that one alone. But I do want to say about MLK Weekend. Again, we're part of a coalition, Black and Jewish Unity. And it just is so important to us to connect with the Black community. And I also want to say, I don't know if you've heard the Black National Anthem or Negro National Anthem of Lift Every Voice. Yeah, um, I just cry every time I really and I said to the the choir that sang it at church that would it not be for cultural appropriation, I would take that song for the Jews because I really feel it's you know, such a song of hope and struggle and strength and prevailing and resiliency. But in any case, we sang that and we sang Hatikva afterwards, which is also the Jewish national anthem of hope. But over the weekend, normally with MLK Weekend, I would mention it in shul and talk about it. And I said, we had this guest for Shabbos, but I just could only think about Israel. And I think in some ways our brains were just taken, our hearts are really taken over concern for Israel. And it's really hard to get into MLK or other kind of things. I just found it really difficult. Yeah, we have, I think, by necessity, become tribal more than ever before. Yeah. But but the, the great news, and I saw 
an interview of a, a poor soldier who had lost his leg in Gaza, who said, and it was really emotional. It, it was about he, he was willing to sacrifice his leg uh, because he saw what has been going on with Jewish unity, particularly in Israel. And that was a very moving sentiment. Oh, and I think in situations like this, particularly when people we thought our friends are not our friends, you turn inward. And yeah. if any good is to come of all this horrific monstrosity, it is Jewish unity. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we have our friends outside. We have Hindus are amazing. And in the black community, we I must say, we have some incredible friends. Figure out who your friends are, but you also understand who your people are. I really hope that lasts uh, after this war. That's something that I think is so important that we talk about, we think about what will happen on the day after. How, what is Israel going to do? I just saw that some of the generals or some of the chief of staff, the chiefs of staff in Israel are starting to say that's got to be part of the war strategy the day after. But I don't know. We'll see what we'll see what happens. A military conflict without a political goal is meaningless, right? All your it's it it has to be tied. Getting back to Sun Tzu, right? It's got to be tied to a political outcome at the end of the day. Uh, otherwise, you're rudderless. Yeah, it's John. What in the middle of everything, Israel is being taken to court. It's so ironic by South Africa, and they should have quickly taken South Africa to court for genocide against some of their farmers and what they're doing when ugh, everywhere and all over in China and all over. Not not to mention that they host people like Omar al-Bashir, who was charged with genocide in Darfur, right? Th this is who is coming after Israel at the ICJ. And just to be clear, so what they did is this is think of it like a temporary restraining order in the ICJ. The ICJ is different from the ICC. Both are in The Hague. ICC is the criminal court, the International Court of Justice. The ICJ is for nations to resolve disputes. Oh. And this was in connection with the Genocide Convention of 48 that became effective in 51. And it's interesting that they chose to invoke genocide. It's the crime of crime, so to speak. But it's a very high bar and it's an intent crime. So the, the definition is really it's an act committed with the intent, and that's the most important part, to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, it's a kind of old school term, ethnical, racial or religious group by killing, bodily harm, imposing living conditions meant to destroy, preventing births, or forcibly transferring. But the, the key is it's that intent to destroy in whole or in part. And I think notwithstanding the fact, and I think South Africa, to their credit, if I want to give them any credit, cherry-picked some really stupid things that some Israeli officials said. Right. The good news is most of those officials were not in the war cabinet and were maybe high-ranking Israeli officials, but not high-ranking in terms of the war fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were able to cherry-pick them to good effect, I thought, because I listened, right. like I always do, to the whole thing. So six hours yeah. of Wow. You know, three hours of South Africa, three hours of Israel. Maybe I'm biased, but I think Israel had the much, much better argument. The problem is what they were aiming for South Africa was something called provisional measures. So it's a lower bar to stop an ongoing 
genocide or something like that. They haven't invoked it all that often. There's been a few in history of Bosnia and Serbia, Myanmar and Rohingya, Russia and Georgia, Russia and Ukraine. The interesting thing is these provisional measures, they usually come up with some sort of opinion within just weeks, which is surprising. But then for the longer term opinion, it can take as long, like the Bosnia-Serbia one took, I think, 14 years. And so we may be waiting a while for the, the big opinion, but the provisional measures could be things that the court purports to impose upon Israel. And one could say, what can the ICJ do? There's no teeth behind it. They're, they're the same ones who did an opinion on Israel and the wall, the border fence, re really to no great effect. But at the same time, it, it does invoke legal theories that other cases can invoke. So it, it it's something you want to obviously push back on to the extent possible. The good news, we, we have a few countries on our side, ostensibly. Austria, Czech Republic, Germany, you saw that. Guatemala, yeah. Hungary, U.S., and U.K., who realize what a farce this is. And how many countries are on are judging it? There's, I think they have 15 judges on the court, and each side is allowed to bring in one of their own. So it's actually a pretty broad-based, diverse group. But as you can imagine, most have either legal systems or political systems that are inherently anti-Israel. They, yeah, they don't necessarily they, they don't necessarily have to vote like their country votes, but I, I would suspect that there's sufficient anti-Israel sentiment that al almost regardless of the actual arguments that were used, they were inclined to vote against Israel anyway. Yeah, like Lebanon. Isn't Lebanon one of the countries? Yeah, I think that's right. Lebanon doesn't have relations with Israel. It's just they should have recused themselves. How could they not recuse themselves? They don't even have relations with Israel. Uh, yeah, it is not like a court we're used to where conflicts of interest get resolved quickly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's frustrating. But did Aaron Barak really defend Israel? I heard that they sent that he was sent to defend Israel. The great judge that really put in place the reasonableness clause in Israel in the Supreme Court that Netanyahu was fighting or trying to overrule, I heard he sent him for to present, but I don't know if he actually did present. Uh, Tom Becker presented, I think, also. Yeah, and also the, the, the most compelling one I heard, and I forgot his name, but he was uh, basically the equivalent of what we would call a JAG, a judge uh -huh. advocate general, basically within the military structure. He was saying, look, we comport with the laws of war. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. Mm -hmm. and And I think... Reasonable minds can differ over any particular action, but as a whole, I'm still on Team Israel. I still believe that what they're doing is right. I still think that they are trying to minimize casualties under the circumstances. Again, you've got to keep an eye on what is the military goal and on the circumstances. But he, I thought, gave the most compelling case because what happened on October 7th is somewhat relevant but it's really about what Israel does in response that's more relevant, yeah. at, le at least to this set of circumstances that they were being charged with under the genocide convention. Yeah, no, if anything, if anything, it should be let Israel. I know how hurt everyone is. We're all hurting and traumatized in the horrors of October 7th. But 
it can't be the thing that we have to be strategic. Israel has to be strategic and, and America should be strategic. And I just don't understand why they're letting Iran off the hook. I think everyone should have to watch Argo again. Great movie. I've seen it several times. I can't see it enough. And that that's funny you mentioned that. I actually mentioned that we had our first national security law class today. And I had mentioned the Iranian hostage crisis, and I mentioned Argo. So we did not plan that. Great minds think alike. I think Biden and the UK, we've pushed back on the Houthis. It's it's hilarious to see the protesters saying, Yemen, keep up the good work, when the Houthis are a rebel group against the Yemenis. It's amazing. People are just so obsessed with being anti-Israel. I know that in World War II, the Germans were so obsessed with murdering the Jews that they, even towards the end, when it hurt the war effort, the, the, the efforts were put into wiping out the Jews. And everything suffers in order to fight the Jews and to fight Israel. Greta Thunberg taking the Palestinian flag and being anti-Israel. And oh, she doesn't care. Okay, suddenly she doesn't really care about global warming, because the obsession has to be fighting Israel and protesting in front of Sloan Kettering, because you can't fight cancer. The Nebuch, Sloan Kettering's trying to fight cancer and trying to team up with hospitals in Israel. They should team up everywhere. I don't care if there's an Iranian hospital that has a cure for cancer, so go to them. But no, the protest has to be there because you can't do it, even if people will, everyone's going to die. It's just really... I think Jews are seeing it. Many Jews are seeing it. I don't know if the world ever sees it, but it just becomes. I real. think they're. I think they're starting. I think that the tide is turning to some extent, both in this country and in Europe. I think that there is that backlash forming, and it's really. It reminds me. I know you spent some time in England. There, there's this great British comedy sh show called That Mitchell and Webb Look, uh -huh. and there's this famous skit that they've done where it's a bunch of SS Nazis talking. And one of them looks around and says, does it bother you that we wear skulls on our uniform? And they go on and on just for a while. And the famous line they say in the skit is, are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. wonder if you're protesting a cancer hospital, you wonder if anyone in that crowd is actually looking around and say, maybe we're the baddies. Yeah, it's. I wish someone would have that realization. And it's funny, we have in our office at the JCRCAJC, one of our associates is monitoring what the anti-Israel community is saying about different things like ISIS. So ISIS attacked Iran. So there's real belief that ISIS is a pawn is working with Israel. It's just a proxy of Israel. Wow. Uh, and then what do you do with Assad? On the one hand, he kills people. On the one hand, he, he hates Israel. He's a is a proxy of of Iran. So we got to love Assad. But then Assad is wiping out people. So we can't love Assad. It's just. But everyone, as Tom Lair said, for the old timers remember, everyone hates the Jews. So that everyone Shiites and Sunnis and again, we work uh, with uh, some wonderful Muslim leaders who one guy was very courageous and has spoken out against the Palestinian leadership and Hamas and how their leaders are living the good life in Qatar. It's a real challenge. And the baddies, like you said, are really pulling the strings, really difficult. I saw this great quote from, you may 
of know this British philosopher named Bertrand Russell. Oh, yeah. Who said, yeah. So this is a great quote I read this week. The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves, but wiser people are so full of doubts. <laughs> that's true. That's uh, that's Judaism. It's really always questioning and always challenging. And that's such a wow. It's tough. It's a tough world. But again, that Tubishvat theme of, that we're, we're flowering, we're getting some more that inside, inside it's building. There's a resiliency that's really, it's really building. And look, I just hope that we're feeling that we got it. We can't leave this podcast without talking about the tunnels at 770. Everyone's building tunnels these days. I know. We actually, our house is on a slab, so we don't have a basement. And I need a place to jam with my friends without bothering my family. <laughs> and so I'm thinking I may bring in some combination of our new tunnel building friends and have them, I'll pay them, just build me a basement. All that, I, I can't believe, 350 to 450 kilometers of tunnels underneath Gaza and all that ingenuity. It's just so tragic. It's so tragic, all that money and not even money, but really ingenuity that's being was so wasted on a, a cult of death, a cult of killing. But and obviously not even to help their own people. They didn't even yeah. build bomb shelters for their own people. I'm trying to find the some optimism and maybe with these minus whatever temperatures, we've hit rock bottom, maybe. Here's the optimism. And Jen, my wife, commented on this today that. It was, I think, five o'clock. She said, look, it's a little bit lighter outside. Ah, yeah. There you go. That's one of the explanations of Hanukkah in Tractate of Odazara. And Masechet of Odazara talks about that Adam, he saw the days getting shorter and shorter. And he said, oh, no, this is it. This is, we're gone. <laughs> and then suddenly turn the corner and the days are starting to get longer sunsets getting there later and that's when he made it doesn't call it the holiday of hanukkah but that's when he made a seven day an eight day holiday yes we have we have turned the corner and that is exciting i do want to say that in we have some listeners in israel thank you all those who are listening not just from lakeview or former lakeview but even former lakeview people that are in israel really we really appreciate we really want to Send our love to all our listeners in Israel and our strength. Help us spread the word. You got it. John, this has been great. I hope the next time we come on, we'll have here some good things, some good news from Israel, from the Middle East, and, and locally as well. Thanks, as always, for your optimism. <laughs> I'm trying. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Rabbi and a Lawyer Walk Into a Bar. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to get our next episode delivered right to you. If you really like us, please consider leaving a review and sharing this with a friend. That would really help our efforts. And finally, to contact us and for more show-related information, please visit our website, rabbilawyerbar.com. Special thanks to our production team, David Stone for the introduction music, Andrew Bauman for the artwork, and I'm Nicholas Tantillo. This podcast is co-produced with Front and Social Studios in Chicago. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Copyrighted material, all rights reserved.